You're listening to episode 95 with Nathan Oley, CEO of the Rural Community Assistance Partnership, aka RCAP. This episode is brought to you by Rogue Water Lab. Hi, this is George Hawkins, and I am the founder and president of Moonshot Missions. This is a podcast that is demonstrating the value of communication in the water sector. It's water in the real life with my friend, the H2 duo, Stephanie Corso and Ariane Shipley. We are proud to announce our new nonprofit venture, Rogue Water Lab. A tribe, an experience, a calling, a hub where you can learn, connect, and grow. The lab is cultivating the next generation of innovators in water communication and education. Why? Because progress is a human story. And those who tell the stories rule the world. So the question now belongs to you. Are you ready to join the revolution? Well, for different reasons, Yuri and I both have a soft place in our heart for the rural communities. You know, Arian lives in one, and I get to spend time uh, in a rural community in Illinois with my family every summer. And so it, it was really fun to have a conversation with Nathan Oley, who is the CEO of the Rural Community Assistance Partnership, or RCAP, if you're familiar with that. And so uh, they're a nonprofit organization that provides technical assistance, training, resources for our folks in rural communities. And so it was really amazing to hear some of the stories that he had, including one of my all-time faves now about the Golden Girls and about some of their really awesome programs about rural homecoming, getting folks to come back to rural communities to live, work, raise their families, as well as programs like Hometown H2O and Agua for All. They have some amazing communication, public outreach resources that they provide. And so it was great to hear, uh, to talk about that. So Nathan currently serves as the Chief Executive Officer of RCAP, which, like I said, is a national network of nonprofits focused facilitating access to safe drinking water, sanitary wastewater disposal, economic development, and capacity building for rural and tribal communities across the country. RCAP's work in assisting some of the smallest rural communities in the U.S. helps to build capacity and opportunity in every state and territory across the country and reached more than 3.2 million people last year. He's incredibly active, served as the senior advisor at the U.S. Economic Development Administration and served on the White House Rural Council, leading the engagement in place-based initiatives across the Department of Commerce. Also a member of the One Water Council and the National Rural Housing Coalition alongside several other nonprofit volunteer activities. So without further ado, let's get to the show. We're incredibly excited to be speaking with Nathan Oli today. He's the CEO with the Rural Community Assistance Partnership, otherwise known as RCAP. So Nathan, thank you so much for taking the time out to chat with us today. Yes, Thank, thank you so much for the opportunity. It's great to be with you guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So RCAP plays a pretty niche role in the water industry in terms of its focus on, on rural communities. How did you find yourself in this amazing such needed niche area. How did you find yourself there? And do you feel like water chose you or you chose water? Well, it's, it's a great question. And I will actually maybe challenge the, the concept of the question a little bit. Uh, okay. I don't view rural as niche. Uh, when I look at the water spectrum, you know, 150,000 plus community uh, public water systems across the country, 97% of those are covered, covering communities in 10,000 or less. Yeah. And so if you actually look at the, the totality of the water industry, rural and tribal systems are actually covering a majority of the systems. I mean, not a majority of the people, but a majority of the systems across the country. And so when you think about the issues impacting the water industry, you always have to, in my eyes, and I'm biased, you always have to have a perspective of, of how that impacts small systems and what are the opportunities to help small systems whether it's complying with a rural regulation or whether it's actually helping to implement innovation, you know, find unique ways to make sure the small systems are able to be a part of the table and part of the discussion. But your question about did water find me or did I find water? Water definitely found me. Uh, my background is actually in economic development. I came, uh, came from Michigan before moving out to the Washington, D.C. area, where I spent over 10 years doing economic development work at the state uh, and local level. And also worked uh, for, for former governor, Governor Jennifer Granholm, uh, before being recruited out to D.C. to work at the U.S. Economic Development Administration uh, as the part of the last Obama administration. And in that work, 
Uh, a primary focus of mine was rural. Uh, I sat on the White House Rural Council. I participated in a number of cross-agency collaborations that touched rural communities in, in many ways, but always kind of with an economic development lens on it. And when I was at the White House Rural Council, I, I came into contact with RCAP as part of the work we were doing around water infrastructure needs. And I was intrigued by water, but I didn't know much about water other than the fact that it played a really integral part in economic development. Mm -hmm. And so when the opportunity at RCAP came, came available, I went... Uh, in the interview process and was very clear. I said, I'm not a water guy. If you need a water expert, I am not, I'm not the person for that. But if you need someone who can talk about the impact that water is having on the economy, the impact that water has on daily life, I am exactly that right guy because I can talk about the interconnectedness between water and wastewater. Quite frankly, yeah. what, what wastewater often gets lost in this conversation uh, has a direct impact on economic opportunity and growth, not just from a business perspective uh, where you've got to have wastewater disposal uh, for any any business to come in or want to grow in a community, but also from a personal aspect. If you don't have access to safe drinking water, uh, no family is going to want to stay in that community long term. Yeah. And so mm -hmm. uh, it definitely found me, but it's it's really become a, a deep passion of mine and a, a great opportunity to lift up and, and talk about the voices of small communities in a really unique way. Well, I love that you, I love that you kicked off the first question by heckling us back uh, <laughs> because, but, and I love that you gave that perspective of just the difference in size, I guess, for, in terms of the number of rural communities versus the major metropolitan that we hear about and hear from all the time. Um, I guess for me, like niche uh, size doesn't matter when it comes to niche, because we say that we're niche to the water industry, but water is absolutely everywhere. So we definitely don't feel, it, it was really funny actually as a bit of our own origin story is when we were initially planning on only working for the water industry, several people who weren't in us, but were in the marketing industry were concerned that we were limiting ourselves. <laughs> and for a minute of time, we, we did some work for people outside of the water industry before coming home and just focusing fully on that yeah. because we were like, are you kidding me? Water is everywhere. Like this industry is huge. I don't think that we're limiting ourselves at all by just focusing on this one subject matter that we're, that we know and love, you know? So uh, well, definitely was not saying that you were a tiny part of the, of the spectrum, but I appreciate you giving us that perspective because we just, we forget that. And you're focusing on the side of the industry that no, not no one, but um, a lot of people don't focus on. So that's the niche part of it to me is you're focusing on a, not necessarily numbers game, but a, a, a piece of the industry that's just, just that, just yeah, the rural. So important. Yeah. Well, I view, I view one of our, our main goals and missions is really to help raise the voice of those communities, right? Mm -hmm. I think mm -hmm. just like you guys are raising a voice to really interesting conversations and innovations in the water industry, you know, we're hopefully here to help tell the story of rural communities, tell the story and the impact that rural, that rural communities have on the larger economy, but specifically on the water industry, you know, the need to make sure that the voice of those small communities are in conversations that typically they haven't had an opportunity to be in is, is really, uh, a big mission of ours. So I appreciate you guys helping to give us a voice. For those yeah, absolutely. Uh, and that's a great segue into my next question because we were so excited to get connected with you because um, giving those communities a voice is also something that, that we're both passionate about. And um, you really give us a vantage point perspective that like Ariane said, we don't always hear from. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm sure at some point, Ariane will speak at at some point why this is also very meaningful to her as well. But so RCAP is a nonprofit organization that provides technical assistance, training and resources. But I want to kind of dive into what that really means. What does that action look like on the ground in real life? Well, it's, it's a great question. And you're right. It, it, it sounds like we're doing all these, all these things, but it's really not detailed, right? What does that actually mean? For us, fundamentally, it's about building capacity at the local level. It's about helping systems, communities build their own internal capacity so they don't need our assistance or training. But what it looks like on the ground is we have, uh, through our, we're actually a network of nonprofit partners. I should start with that. So we have a small team in D.C. and then six regional partners across the country that are actually the folks on the ground in communities every single day. And through those six regional partners, there are more than 200 RCAT network team members on the ground in, in every state, including Puerto Rico and East Virgin Islands. And every single day, they're in communities building relationships, 
providing that technical assistance and training. And what that looks like every day is different. So it could be working with an operator on a technical issue in their system. It could be working with a local mayor or a water district uh, board member to talk about how do you manage the system appropriately and make sure you're planning out in the long term. It could be working with the city clerk in a community to help them ensure they've got all their financial documents in place so that they can go after funding. Um, for us, it's about meeting communities where they are and identifying both what are their issues, but also what are the opportunities from a water and wastewater perspective. And so we cover technical, managerial, and financial uh, technical assistance work in communities, but it's always based on what that need is in that community. Yeah. Sometimes it's a compliance issue where we can come in and do a technical fix that helps them with that. Sometimes they're looking to secure financing for a new power or new pump. Uh, we're often helping them put those applications in place and, and even more importantly, helping them identify what those funding resources could be and what are the pluses and minuses of looking at this, this opportunity versus another opportunity. Yeah. But fundamentally, it's about building that capacity so that they can do that work on their own and they don't need our, our help and assistance anymore. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, I, first of all, like... I am going to nerd out for just a second. <laughs> I was Before waiting I for jump it. into my next, I'm freaking out a little bit because um, I'm rural, y'all. And if you hadn't noticed by now, <laughs> whatever we're on. Um, so I appreciate you guys um, focusing on the rural side like this and providing this help for the smaller communities because it is so important and needed and also scary to not know, you know, how this is going to go in the next 10, 5, 10, 15, 20 years. Like, are we, you know, I mean, just knowing like we have a couple people that work in water in our, in our small town here in, in Freestone County where I'm at. <laughs> Shout out. Hi. <laughs> and, but I mean, I'm just really excited. So um, I'm going to get into something I discovered through you guys and I'm in love with, and now I kind of want to do this in my own community. So obviously, you know, communication in the water sector is our first love, Stephanie and my, in my first love. Um, but RCAP plays a role in this for the rural communities, which I'm pumped about. <laughs> um, you told us about a partnership you have with the Lore Foundation on a project called Rural Homecoming. Yep. So I'd like for you to tell us about that program and how you're helping communities with communication and outreach. And then I'm going to plug your toolkit because it's amazing. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. And, uh, you know, rural homecoming really spurred out of an idea that we had as we kept seeing kind of the national narrative around rural being one of decline and decay and negativity. You know, mm -hmm. we wanted to find out figure out a way to kind of counteract that narrative and actually showcase and highlight innovation and cool things that were happening to our communities. And yeah. so we decided, you know, what is the best way to do that? It's really to, to empower communities to tell their own story. And so we created Rural Homecoming just as a pilot last year um, with really two main goals. Number one, to reconnect people back with their hometowns or connect young people that are in rural communities with the cool things that are happening in their own community. And number two, to help communities tell that story. And so the toolkit you referenced uh, is is really the main the main piece of rural homecoming. It is it's open source, so it's open and free to any community to use in any way they want. Uh, and the hope and goal is that they take it and they either use it in an event they already already host or other ways they're trying to engage folks that may have left their community, or maybe it spurs them to create a new event or new opportunity to do mm -hmm. that. Um, and it it has a wide range of things. It has ideas around events. It has. Uh, a ready-made press release they can use for local press. It's got social media content and ideas. Um, but really, it's about giving tools to each community to tell their own story. And the hope is that then we can take those stories as a collection of stories on a national platform and really be able to, to weave in a much more positive, innovative conversation around rural, not just uh, for national narrative, but also so those communities feel like they can tell their story in, in their own unique way and do it in their voice. Because I can't mm -hmm. tell the story of Love Valley, Tennessee any better than they can. And, yeah. you know, as long as we provide the tool, tools to them to be able to do that, you know, it, it provides them a great opportunity to be proud of what is happening, but mm -hmm. also to have an actual voice in this larger national narrative. Yeah, sure. and I love this toolkit. I actually went down, I downloaded it and, and been 
perusing through it like crazy. Um, going, oh my gosh, we could totally do this like today. Um, <laughs> as my second, third, fourth side hustle. Um, <laughs> but it comes with um, an awesome toolkit, like you said, um, but it also comes with the social media graphics for different platforms and an event, evite, email headers, footers, sample press releases, articles. I love it because it's really just this, you know, one, one shop fit, you know, fit for anyone who can just yeah. customize it to their needs. And that is something that, you know, I would have like dreamed over day one or drooled over day one, starting for the city when it was that I worked for though, when it was a little bit smaller, a lot smaller and, and not really knowing where to begin, you know, one person doing all this, where do I even begin? Um, so this is a great, great resource for anyone who's kind of wearing a, this hat on top of all the other hats of now I have to be out in the community or, or talk about water, download this toolkit. And, and it's definitely a step-by-step guide. It's great. Yeah. Thank I love you. that. Like George Hawkins has always been, uh, he's always been like such a great supporter of us. And whenever we've been on panels together, he's always talked about so many times smaller communities say, well, we don't have the budget to hire someone to help us do this, or, uh, we don't have, the money to do this and that. And he was like, well, just outsource this. And I think this is a great opportunity of mm-hmm. um, examples of help that rural communities have in order to, to gain their voice and amplify their voice. And this can be like step one, maybe they start doing this and they realize they see the value in it and then they can decide, okay, what does this mean moving forward? Like, can we hire someone to do this? Because mm-hmm. now I see that, um, now I see the value of it and the community that it's brought. And so I love that this is also a, a gateway drug to communication. Like I love it. <laughs> Ooh, I'm like all that. about that. <laughs> well, and to us, you know, if you're not willing to tell your own story, no one's going to tell it for you. Exactly. But True. you don't, if you don't have the tools to understand how to do that, then it's really difficult for, for a water yeah. operator, for example, to say, how would I ever tell the story of the impact mm-hmm. that I'm making? Yep. But if we can provide tools that are easy for people to use and access, mm-hmm. then then they've got a really easy opportunity to, to number one, do it, but number two, see the impact of it and see the, the, the impact that it can have. And you're exactly right. Then start to think about what resources they can put towards doing more of that work. And yeah. communications is not just about telling your story to the outside world. It's also about telling your story to your community and helping right. yeah. the community you know, with the stakeholder engagement, understanding the impact that, that water and wastewater access has, has in your community. Yeah. And I'd like to add one more little thing. Um, we, Stephanie was at one of the communities, um, around us last week, I believe. And something that kind of struck me, it happens all the time is, you know, the person was the water operators like, eh, Mm. you know, it's just the water treatment plant or, you know, it's, um, who basically like who would want to see this or who would want to like engage with this. And we just want to encourage everyone, water operators to, kind of switch that mentality and say, like, everyone wants to see this. Come on in. Let me show you um, all this cool thing, all these cool things we do every single day, Um, whether it's at the treatment plant or at a pump station or just fixing a leak or not just fixing a leak, but fixing, (laughs) (laughs) you know, meter reading, any of those different, you know, processes, like bringing the people in um, to see that process really makes, you know, people appreciate what, you're doing in the in the end product that you're creating so but that's it's a hugely crucial part to what i see as the value of water operators and wastewater operators is you know most most of them are in the weeds every day right they're fixing a leak they're 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 doing whatever they need to do but what they don't understand in many cases is the larger impact that they have on the community Mm -hmm. and you know when i walked in the door at rcap i said you know whether or not you believe you're doing economic development work, you are part of the economic development you process. Totally, yeah. And you need to recognize that. You need to be willing to talk about that mm-hmm. because the impact you're having on, on local businesses, small businesses, and their opportunity to grow, to be part of the community mm-hmm. uh, is vital. And so, you know, it's something we, we talk a lot about at RCAP. How do we talk about the broader impact that water is having in communities and mm-hmm. ensuring that we're taking a more holistic approach to those communities so that they, number one, see it, but also feel that. Well, you took me down this path, Arianne. So I'm, I'm gonna sorry. I'm gonna continue <laughs> down this road, path totally. for a second. Yeah. Um, because because yeah, we um 
he the operator was like, eh, I'm not really into tours. And I was like, mm, you, you should probably do it and do it more regularly, because really, it's when people get to come and see things and experience it that that's when it really begins to click to them Mm -hmm. and that's when they really that's like a really great way to begin to build trust or rebuild trust with the community and um I think that that's something that should be I mean obviously okay we're recording this on March 16th in the thick of the coronavirus pandemic and so tours right now is probably not the best thing but uh, but I think that doing tours (laughs) And inviting the community to come engage with you and to see what it is that we do is so important. And it's such a great opportunity to give a nod to the operators who just, like you said, Nathan, they're in the weeds and then they're in the thick of what they're doing every single day that like even they forget that how absolutely important it is. And, you know, we were there doing a photo shoot for for a client and our photographer who isn't I mean, he's a trained biologist, but he's not really, he's not in the water industry. Even he was like asking all of these really good questions. And he was like, wow, I never would have thought of that. And I guess it's because we're not like constantly in danger in terms of the same way that a police officer or a firefighter is in that way, that we somehow forget that we're still saving or protecting human life like every single day. And I think that it's because it's every day that we forget that and doing tours and letting people engage with them is a way uh, just to bring that to bring that home. And now more than ever, we need to be communicating about how we treat our water and what we do with it so that people know that it's safe. Like we need to be like in hyper, let people know that everything mm. like it's safe. mode. <laughs> so well, like, it's, to me, it humanizes water. Right? Yeah, 100. I mean, most people only worry about their water when they turn on a faucet and it doesn't work or it's a different color or Mm -hmm. they see a water main break down the street. You know, if you can proactively engage your community and help them understand not just the impact that that access to water has on them, but also all the pieces that go into treating the water and making sure that they have safe drinking water, it only Mm -hmm. makes those tough conversations down the road that much easier. Yeah. Yep. I can guarantee you that uh, especially now with so much um, kind of fear and panic in the air and everyone's kind of acting out of their lizard brains, their amygdalas, they're not like, they're not thinking about things logically. And so they need to be reminded that your drinking water is put through this process to kill viruses like this. And guess what? We don't just like say bye when it leaves the plant we're taking (laughs) we're taking tests throughout the day we're taking tests throughout the distribution system like we're really we have our eyes on the water all the time and so I think those are really important stories Mm -hmm. for us to be saying not just now but all the time so that people Mm -hmm. know that and maybe there wouldn't be such rushes on all the bottled water at grocery stores (laughs) water's still running even though uh even though things are a little bit more hairy right now even though we're all stuck inside, but yeah. Um, so uh, before I went down the rabbit hole that Ariane <laughs> dug for me, which is a really important one, so I'm glad that we did talk about it because it's very uh, it's very timely. Um, you raised a point about uh, about communication and how if you don't tell your story, no one's going to tell it for you, um, which I think is like a good communication to us is like Occam's razor where. Mm-hmm. With all things being equal, the simplest answer and communication really is such a great starting point. And especially when you're trying to build collaboration. So I want to pause for just a second because we love stories about communication that are happening in our sector because they serve as anecdotal evidence for how important it is to our sector. But you know, after our initial conversation that we had with you, it was evident how it seems to be even more important for rural communities to be talking and telling their story and hearing each other's story. Of course, for fun things like rural homecoming and programs and events like that, but also as just like that starting point and that route of collaboration that a lot of times needs to happen just for survival sometimes. Mm -hmm. So you told us a story that we loved. Can you talk more about that (laughs) and tell us your golden girl story? Yeah. So it's, it's one of my favorite stories to tell. Uh, I was down in in rural Georgia and I'm doing some site visits and talking to communities. And we went to a a community called Alcove Shores. It's a small, really small community, about 350 people uh, in the community. And uh, they had had a long-term water operator running their system, operating their system. 
and he, he tragically passed away uh, one day. And, and no one in the community outside of, of him had had any experience or understanding of the water system other than his wife, who had gone to help him run the pump a couple of times. Um, and so at the age of 63, she went back and got certified as a water operator. She recruited uh, four of her best friends to do the same. Uh, and so now this woman who, well, not this woman, this group of women uh, that are all over the age of 70 now are running this town's uh, water system. And they, they went back, they took the time to go get certified and, and become certified operators, but they also did it collaboratively. So that they had this group to talk to one another, to learn from one another. Um, but, you know, the beauty and the curse of this is that in many rural communities across the country, there are no massive systems. There are no backup operators. Hmm. You know, heaven forbid with coronavirus, an operator gets sick. What is that community going to do? There's no one else yeah. who, in many cases, not all cases, but in many cases that mm -hmm. understands how to run or operate the system. And so the beautiful thing is, is like most rural communities, they figured it out and they went and they just did it, right? She went and got, a, got certified. She recruited some friends to go get certified with her. And so now you have the golden girls of Alcove Shores who run this water system. Love it. You know, but the other the other scary part about that is this is a case that you can see in many communities across the country. And workforce development, you know, the, the pipeline of water operators, especially in rural communities, is going to be a really critical conversation in the coming decade as we see more and more water operators age out um, of their systems. And so things like, you know, creating the workforce development opportunities, understanding, you know, the importance of mapping systems not just for the operator themselves or, you know, fire services, et cetera, but for the next person that comes along to understand how to access the system. Or if you're paving a new road, where do you actually find, you know, the, the you know, make sure that you don't pave over a, a sewer mm -hmm. can. Yeah. Um, you know, all these pieces are really critical and important. And putting stories to these that that resonate and other communities say, yeah, we've got that same issue or we, we could have that same issue really helps to elevate the conversation in ways that that maybe you wouldn't be able to if you didn't have you know a really cool and fun story and, and they're fantastic women they're a lot of fun uh, but <laughs> it also shows you know there are now four women over the age of seventy running the system and what's what's the next generation that's going to help you know run that system when they're done yeah how is um, this may be a side question but how is RCAP helping rural communities with the whole workforce like are you do you, are you guys playing a role in that and helping secession or i mean whatever i don't we know we are and we're it, it's it's a big focus of ours of, of what role can we continue to play so we work a lot with community colleges and ensuring that there's that there's actual uh certification programs in communities because uh, oftentimes in rural communities a community colleges or technical college is the best resource there's not yep, a major yeah. university time. Yeah. Plus time. Um, we are also doing training we actually do ceus we do continuing education credits for for operators uh, through our training. So we're helping the existing workforce and hopefully new new folks come into the workforce. But we're also thinking about, you know, how do we how do we get creative about tackling this problem? You know, are there ways to work with larger systems? Uh, because oftentimes what you see in small systems is they train up a, an operator and then the large system says, oh, thank you for training them. We <laughs> yeah. offer them a little bit more money and exactly. it's a great job. And why would sure. they not pass that opportunity? Up? Right. But yeah. are there ways to think more creatively about how large and small systems maybe create a pipeline together and help fund yeah. some of that training together so that number one, you recognize and understand it is an issue for rural communities. Mm -hmm. It's not going away. Um, let's be honest about it and open about it and figure out what are the solutions to try and help lead into the new workforce opportunities. Mm. And then we're also using things like GIS mapping to incentivize and create new opportunities for young people to get excited about this because we know technology and innovation is a really crucial aspect to, to exciting the younger generation. And so we're, Using a lot of GIS mapping, we are actually helping systems across the country, rural and tribal systems across the country, map their systems. But we're also thinking of it as a workforce development tool to try and drive more young people into the profession. Yeah. Mm. So me and, uh, or we and George, again, Hawkins had a conversation about, uh, in one of the last interviews that we did with him, we talked a lot about ways that we felt like water could be... Let me preface this with our mentor, Greg Wukash with San Antonio Water System, just kind of randomly said this quote in our office one day, not a quote, it's his own quote, and just like said it and moved along. We were like, whoa, 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 er, what? <laughs> because we've put this on like t-shirts now, like it really just mm -hmm. stirred us. But he said this quote one time that, you know, water is the catalyst for community transformation. 
Mm-hmm. And we 100% believe that. And in our conversation with George, it was, it was kind of talking about the different ways that that could be and how it's so exciting to be in this industry right now, because as much doom and gloom as there is, there is like so much hope and opportunity. And, um, just lost my train of thought. I'm going to get back there. Um, cause you're talking about, Oh, um, so like a lot of things get said about some of the reasons why rural communities are, are shrinking. And, you know, sometimes it's because older technologies or older ways of doing things are ending such, maybe it has to do with coal plant or something like that. And how awesome would it be to instead come in and use getting people certified to be operators, even if it's like for a network of small communities and and not just one and having really using that as an opportunity to not only for workforce development for the industry, but now bringing life back to some of these communities. Cause now, I mean, water is pretty steady. It's not <laughs> going anywhere. So. Well, it's, it's interesting that you bring that up because one of the things we do a lot of and a big focus of ours lately has been on regional collaboration. Mm-hmm. And helping communities understand that they don't need to go at it alone, that there are, are others that they can work with collaboratively mm-hmm. as opposed to competing against one another. And one of those issues is, you know, something that maybe I call it simple, but it's not necessarily simple at the local level of sharing the cost of water operator across several systems, right? Mm. So you maybe can't afford a full-time operator in your community of 500, but yeah. maybe you and the community two miles down the road that has 1,500 people in the community three miles down the road that has... 2,000 people could mm-hmm. share the cost of, of one water operator between the three. And so yeah. we're doing a lot of work in what we call kind of a spectrum of opportunities on, on regional collaboration, Absolutely. whether it's sharing the cost of a water operator or the cost of a backend accounting system, all the way to the actual connection of, of pipes. You know, how do we help communities understand that collaboration is really key and crucial in this industry, especially in small mm-hmm. rural and tribal areas where, you know, you don't have economies of scale like that you do in a larger city. Um, and so it, workforce is one of those areas that we're focused on, on, on regional collaboration and helping communities see that there are opportunities to work with one another as opposed to against one another. Yeah, yeah actually, um, the city that we used to work for, um, we always had 51 and a half employees and the half employee, um, he worked part time with our system. Um, a lot of the night shift, you know, fill ins. And then he worked part-time at the community, the city of Fort Worth, which is, you know, 30 minutes away and worked part-time there. So it was really this shared employee between two communities. And that was a really cool um, concept that that's when we first learned about that was, oh, okay, you can share these operators. Like, that's pretty cool. Yeah. And it, and it sometimes often leads to further conversations about collaboration, right? It doesn't yeah. just have to be about water. Sometimes it mm-hmm. builds into other opportunities especially from an economic development perspective, mm-hmm. where you're collaborating as opposed to competing and understanding the impact that, that you can have both ways with, with other communities. It also creates such an awesome opportunity for just creative problem solving, because when you have people working in different systems, they have different perspectives on things and might see things that are working that could solve this challenge. And so like, that's just, that's a, that's an also really creative way to create this divergent thinking around solving mm-hmm critical issues in different systems too. It's, it's funny you bring that up. My favorite, we do a, a, an RCAP national training conference every year where we bring all of our, what we call TAPS, technical assistance providers from across mm. the country together. And one of my favorite things that we do during those days is something called TAPRAP. And it is where we bring technical assistance providers together and they, we don't have an agenda. They raise their own issues, something they're trying to figure out in their own community. And they utilize the, the TAPS in the room to kind of network and shop around ideas and we attacked it this way or we we looked at this or we were able to come up with this innovative solution mm-hmm. it's just a great way to bring people together number one to recognize that they all have some similar issues uh, but yeah. number two to recognize that there's this wide variety of expertise across our network that they can tap into uh, as they're you know coming across issues that they either can't seem to to push past the finish line or that they just don't have an idea of how to how to tackle mm. love it well um, well, one thing I want to talk about is um, some of my favorite parts of the job um, as a public educator, public outreach person, um, was getting to interact with the kids um, through our education programs. 
So those are always, you know, near and dear to my heart. And they always felt like they um, were the best days, but also the most difficult days because they can wipe you out physically, mentally exhausting. I don't know how teachers do it every single day. I don't know either. Kudos. Yeah. Um, So I want you to tell us a little bit about um, Hometown H2O and Agua for All and your partnership with the Chris Long Foundation, which by the way, if you have a connection with him, uh, we want to get him on the show <laughs> and talk about uh, Water Boys because that's so cool. I can't believe they're doing that. I love it. It's amazing. It's, it's one of my favorite partnerships that we built. So I Will For All actually is a program that gets started by one of our regional partners, the, mm-hmm. re- the Rural Community Assistance Corporation, which is our Western RCAP partner. They started this program back in, in 2014, really focused on water and schools. And essentially what the I Will For All program is is they go into schools and they replace or retrofit water filling stations. So mm-hmm. if you look at a, a water fountain in a school that's you know maybe been there 20 years and is leaking or not working, uh, you know they go in, they assess what the condition is of all the existing water fountains in the school. They will then replace or retrofit those water water state water fountains with water filling stations. So number one, you're able to measure the water intakes for students and teachers across the school because you're actually putting a water bottle up to it and mm-hmm. you know, putting a certain amount of water into that water bottle as opposed to putting your mouth up to it like we always did as a kid. And, and <laughs> um, So you're measuring water. You are ensuring that the water that's coming, that kids and teachers are using is safe. So yeah. we're testing the water itself. And, I was going to ask, are you testing for lead and all that? We yeah. are, absolutely. Yeah. Using point of use filters where, where it's necessary, helping school districts identify mitigation opportunities and understand okay. what other school districts have done to mitigate those kind of issues mm-hmm. in the past. Uh, and so we're ensuring that the water is safe. Um, and then we're also doing education campaigns in the community to help educate families about the importance of safe drinking water, about the importance mm-hmm. of drinking more water and less sugary beverages to their health. Um, and so it really is fundamentally a health issue. It's a communications issue, like you guys have talked about several times. Um, and it's an opportunity to make sure that kids are drinking safe drinking. And so it started in California uh, and has grown pretty exponentially. And we've we then started because of we're a network of national of, of nonprofits, helping our other six regional partners, the five of the six that weren't doing this before, mm-hmm. understand how they might might start to bridge and pilot this program in other states. Oh, so cool. so we said, okay, how do we how do we start to do that? And how do we start to fund that work? And we built a relationship with the Chris Long Foundation. Chris is a former NFL football player who started uh, his foundation back when he was still playing um, and started Waterboys, as you, as you referenced. And Waterboys <laughs> is focused on water access, and their goal is to serve a million people uh, across the world. And they started their work in Africa. They started mm-hmm. internationally helping build community wells and private wells in Africa and mm-hmm. water access in Africa. We had a conversation with them and said, hey, that's fantastic what you're doing. We love what you're doing. But there are, there are a ton of communities here in the United States that have the same issues. Yeah, bring uh, it back that, home. That yep. nobody talks about. Yep. Yes. We said, we said, you should be continuing the work in Africa, but if there's an opportunity to expand the work, you know, we'd love to have that conversation about, mm-hmm. about what we're doing in the United States and what we think we could do with you in the United States. And so they created Hometown H2O. It's the first domestic program. We're one of two partners in that program. And for us, it's given us an opportunity to expand the Agri for All program to other, other states and other regions of the country. So we're starting with five schools. We're going to do three in Montana and two in Virginia, um, where we're already starting the conversations with schools and school districts uh, to start doing those retrofitting and replacing of, of water filling stations. It also provides a water bottle to every student and teacher in the school, so they have access, they have a water bottle they can use. Mm-hmm. It helps us measure the water intake. It also mm-hmm. helps us measure how many uh, plastic water bottles we are saving from the environment. Yeah. So there's yeah. more piece to this as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just a great opportunity to to partner with the Chris Long Foundation, who number one is doing great work already. Number sure. two has a really unique voice. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, there aren't many people that are talking about water, especially mm-hmm. in the United States. Yeah. And the fact that Chris and his foundation are focused on this and building other advocates for it, he's doing a lot of work through his contacts, both in the NFL, but also in the NBA and other yeah, sports, sounds, yeah. to cool. get other advocates talking about water access as a global issue. And in this, in this instance, as a domestic issue as well. And so we're super excited about it. Uh, there's going to be a great opportunity to expand that program as things continue to roll forward. And certainly there's opportunities for other partners to come in and, and play a role. We were able to, to leverage what we're doing with Chris Long Foundation with CoBank, which is one of the largest mm-hmm. uh, private sector water uh, funders uh, across the country. They actually piloted a program before Chris Long Foundation came in 
with us last year down in Texas and have expanded mm -hmm. and are doing additional work with us this year and partnering with the Chris Long Foundation on that. So it's a great opportunity to be in schools, helping kids. Uh, you know, we did an event down in Texas after we had gotten those, those filling stations in and seeing the kids and seeing their excitement. Yeah. Uh, you know, it just invigorates you and gets you excited about the work that you're doing and the impact that these kind of programs can have. Yeah. I mean, Matt Damon, you're hot and all, but like the, kids, <laughs> the kids nowadays, you know, they, they may not really care about Matt Damon. Um, yeah. You know, but any football player comes in that says I worked, for, you know, in the NFL or any NBA, NBA star, like, oh, we are all up on that. You know, mm -hmm. I yeah. mean, that is super, super exciting. I've been, I've been following um, what he's done um, for a little while and and I actually just saw an article pop up um, on LinkedIn and I was like, ah, oh, I've got to figure out how to get in contact with them, get them yeah. on the show. Well, we'll, we'll touch base with his, with his foundation folks and see if we can, yeah. if we can make that connection. Got to get him on here. Yeah, because two things I was going to say. One thing is that I love the focus on the domestic water access issues because yes, that is an for area that, that back is, home. Yes, because that is an area that we're extremely passionate about mm -hmm. and is one that we're trying to give more of a voice to. We actually interviewed uh, Zoe Roller from the U.S. Water Alliance, yep. who was the program, uh, the program lead on their doc on their research report that they just released on that that talked about the two million people in the United States who lack access to clean water and sanitation, as yep. well as George McGraw from Dig Deep nonprofit, yep. who is also doing incredible work in that area as well. So can't wait to drop those mm -hmm. episodes. But um, yeah, so important. Like, yeah. And it's like, I love the way that you prefaced it because that's how we do it too. We're like, that is so amazing what you're doing, but <laughs> did well, you people, know? Most people have no idea. No idea. Yeah. Issues in the United States. I mean, we do a ton of work with colonial communities on the Southern border, right? Between yeah. the United States and Mexico. Sure. Yeah. And in many ways, some of those communities are like third world countries, right? Yes, when you get a big sure. storm, their entire roads are wiped out, right? Everything. And so mm -hmm. there are huge water and wastewater access issues across the United States in small rural and tribal, and obviously in some larger communities as well. It's mm -hmm. not just a rural and tribal issue. Mm -hmm. There are there are a number of issues across the United States that, you know, people don't think about or talk about, but but it's really important to to be honest about what those issues are and trying to address those issues in, in yeah. as proactive a, a fashion as possible. Absolutely. So then my second thing was going to be like, in terms of partnerships, please uh, <laughs> remember Rogue Water Lab, because we would be so excited to play a part in telling that story and making making sure more people know about it and mm -hmm. being able to tell that story through helping uh, kids is just amazing. So um, we definitely love to be a part. And that's why I was so excited about this conversation because I knew that it was just going to be sort of a launching pad to more conversations with. You mean like a rural water podcast <laughs> show? Coming yeah. Let's do it. One day? Let's yeah. Do it. Oh my God. We're in for that. Yeah, something, you know, something like that. So uh, so I was excited in the uh, the stories that you shared because I knew that it was just going to be opportunities to tell even more stories. And that's one of the cool things about what we do now is that we just get access to so many more stories of things that are happening out there. Because, mm -hmm. you know, when you're working and doing this or doing public outreach and education for your city, you're just so in the city and what's happening yep. there. and I think that was one of the biggest takeaways from us when we stepped away and went rogue is we got to see this incredible 40,000 foot view of our industry. And for however much we were super into it and knew our purpose before we left, once we got to do that, it was like, oh God, we're like lifers. We're in like, I don't know what we're yeah. going to do if this doesn't work because we're I'm in. I'm going to become 100. a golden girl. <laughs> yeah, there's a retirement plan. Damn, I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I love it because talk about innovation a lot. And, you know, most most perceptions of rural communities is that there's not a lot of innovation happening in those yeah. communities. When we know, just based on the communities that we work with, that, that innovation is everywhere in rural communities. Oh, By yeah. the nature of the way the rural communities are set up, like, you know, less people, sometimes less resources, sometimes less expertise, you have to be innovative. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, oftentimes a water operator may also be the local mayor, may also be a farmer, may also be a local business owner. You know, it's not. Yeah, he job. literally is in my town right here. Yeah. <laughs> oh, absolutely. absolutely. And so innovation is in the DNA of every rural community by nature. Um, also, he's on not, the volunteer fire department. <laughs> see, exactly right. But if you're not willing to help tell that story of innovation, you know, then it gets lost in, in conversation very quickly. 
Mm, I love it. Well, definitely the first of many conversations to come either with you again or with partners or with the different programs that you're partnering on. So the, the rural, the rural situation is something that we're all passionate about. So we're excited, but I'm going to let Ariane jump into the lightning round. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. So uh, Nathan, what's your favorite book right now that you can recommend to us? Uh, Just finished a book uh, that is called switch. How to change things when change is hard. Yeah. That's on my Uh, bookshelf. Yeah. I read it uh, because we at RCAP are undergoing a lot of change with a lot of growth over the last Mm -hmm. couple of years, but also the communities that we're serving are undergoing Mm. a ton of change uh, every single day. And so helping to understand how to manage and, and create opportunity out of that change is really important. And I would thoroughly recommend that book to anyone uh, who either is going through change or wants to help an organization or a community go through change in a positive way. Mm, that's great. Yeah. They are also the um, authors of the power of moments, right? Mm, Stephanie? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just finished that one this weekend. So good. They're fantastic. Amazing. Like book. Any book, just read them all. Mm-hmm. Okay. So um, <laughs> we had super fans. We had, um, we've just recently changed up. I don't want to say keep saying just recently, but we've changed up this question to because uh, a guest of ours came on and destroyed it. So, yeah. Um, <clears throat> so bear with me. Um, so at the end of every day, um, when you're getting ready to go to bed, I want to know what a successful day looks like to you. What do you when you say like, hmm, today was a good day. How did that day go for you? Hmm. That's interesting. I mean. <laughs> in this job, no day is the same. Sure. Uh, and in, in every rural community, no day is the same. I tell everyone, if you've been to one rural community, you've been to one rural community. Yeah. It's all different, <laughs> right? I mean, so for me, when I go to sleep at the end of the day, what I consider a good day is that I finish the day excited about something that we were doing or something mm-hmm. that the community was doing. Mm-hmm. To me, just like you guys have talked about, you know, the stories are really important. But to me, it's the stories that build into new opportunities. And so mm-hmm. I'm always, I'm a big idea guy. So I'm always thinking about new partnerships, new opportunities to expand things. So Love it. oftentimes I'm going to bed thinking about what are those new opportunities and new partnerships. And that's what gets me really excited. But being able to come away excited from just one moment in the day, one conversation that I had in the day mm-hmm. that I think will lead to a new opportunity for the community to serve. You know, when it, at the end of the day, it always comes back to those communities and how do we help provide more for those communities. Uh, and, and so if I can be excited about one moment of the day, one conversation, one new partnership idea, that's to me, what's, what's a real success. Mm. Nice. I appreciate that. The, just so you know, cause I know you're like wondering that question used to be like, <laughs> how does productivity or, how, you know, what do you what's do one that thing drives you do today? Yeah. That drives your productivity. And, mm. and we would get answers, you know, just like to-do list or working out or meditating or all these different things. And, you know, I almost always like, want wah, wah. I feel like <laughs> I am like the least productive person in the world then because I don't do any of that. I take a shower and that's about it. <laughs> that's all I can like commit to. Um, so thank God. I love that. I know, right? I love that our guests like destroyed that because this is a much more fun question to ask is, you know, what, what is something, what does the end of the day look like for you? And, and, and when is a good day? So thank you for bearing with us on what well, I think it's important. questions. I think it's important to pull yourself away from the weeds at least once a day, right? All of us get so into, I got to finish this, you know, I got to finish this email. I got to finish this paper. I got to finish this, uh, you know, this test. I got to, I got to talk to Johnny, you know, who really needs some help. (laughs) But, you know, being able to take a step back and and think through not just what you're doing or your organization's doing, but this larger kind of coalition of, of water focused advocates mm-hmm. are doing and the importance of that is really important to, to see the big picture and see the impact. Mm. Mm. Well, I love that you brought up Maybe impact. That's his like answer, but he doesn't even know the question. Oh. <laughs> I know. Well, he can say it again then. So as Arian mentioned, before we went rogue, we were doing communication outreach, public education for municipal utilities. And so obviously making impact and behavior change was kind of the end goal of the job. Uh, But, you know, we would meet people from time to time who would say, what difference does it make if I make a change? I'm just one person. It's not going to change anything. But we wholeheartedly disagree with that because we think that change can be contagious and you never know what you might inspire in someone else. So 
What's the one call to action that you're most passionate about that you believe could ultimately change the world? Oof. <laughs> that's, a, that's a deep question. Yeah. <laughs> the one call to action. Hope you've had enough coffee to inspire that. I mean, I think, honestly, I think the call to action is to have a conversation. Mm. I think people don't realize how similar they are mm. or their issues are to what others are doing. And people are don't understand how willing others are to share and yeah. listen. I mean, one of the things, first, one of the first lessons I learned when I moved to D.C. was, you know, you can ask almost anyone to have a coffee and they will spend a half hour with you as long as you come prepared or you come and you use their time wisely and you listen. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So be willing to have a conversation, be willing to accept other people's invitations to have a conversation because you never know where that conversation will go. And it's oftentimes that real singular conversation that has led to so many other opportunities for our organization or for other partnerships. So be willing to have a conversation and, and be willing to listen as part of that conversation. I mean, that's Love been it. our like, marketing strategy since day one. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Thanks to Stephanie. <laughs> yeah. And that's like awesome. to go back to productivity versus what a successful day looks like. There's been several times when either a conversation with someone has gone too long or has come up last minute. And it's so it's in me to be like, no, we have to get this done. Like, no, we have to do this or that. And, but I've never walked away from any one of those conversations feeling like, well, that was a complete waste of time. Like they've always, we've learned something, we've grown closer to someone, we've, um, you know, strengthened the relationship. So mm -hmm. there's, yeah, absolutely. That's, I love and, your call to action. And for me, like my love in life is building relationships, right? Like that's, that's what I'm good at. It's what I enjoy doing. And as part of our cap, you know, our name is Rural Community Assistance Partnership. Yeah. And so we've got to be willing to partner and, be out there engaging people, listening to people, um, and figuring out how we can leverage the work we're already doing to make a broader impact for the communities that we're serving. Mm. Awesome. Awesome. Yes. Well, we appreciate you. This has been great. Uh, as I said, the um, the start of a beautiful partnership. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, so we appreciate you taking the time to, to chat with us today. Mm -hmm. Thank, Thank you, you for the opportunity. It's been a lot of fun. Look forward to the next opportunity. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Never miss out on future episodes by signing up for the Water Nerd newsletter found at the h2duo.com forward slash newsletter. You can also find us on Twitter and Instagram at the underscore h2duo. We share all of our new episodes there as well as in the newsletter. So whether we come across your feed or in your inbox, be sure to share episodes with your friends, family, colleagues, fellow water nerds. Help us spread the word. We hope you learned something new today, got a little inspired, or did something that brought you one step closer to your goal. Until next time, remember what one of our favorite quotes says, those who tell the stories rule the world. <laughs>